Well, it is once again a, a great joy and privilege to be able to bring the Word of God to you tonight. I'm excited to do that, and our text for tonight is going to be from the book of Psalms. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm chapter 1. We're going to be looking at all the verses from Psalm chapter 1. And as you turn there, would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who has not walked in the counsel of wicked men, nor in the path of sinners has stood, or in the seat of scoffers has sat, but rather in the law of Yahweh is his delight. And on his law he will meditate day and night. And he will be as a tree planted upon streams of water, which its fruit it will yield in its season, and its leaf it will not wither, and all which he does will prosper. Not so are the wicked, for they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not rise up in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. Let's pray. Most gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book that we call the Psalms, this this book of worship that you have inspired for us. Lord, we pray that you would open your word to us tonight, that you would send your spirit to work amongst us, and that he would accomplish what he wills. Pray that your word would be spoken in truth tonight, and you would draw people to yourself. In the holy and precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as I'm sure you all remember, last fall, we finished up our series in Jude that I was doing, as I had the privilege to bring a few messages last fall. We went all the way through Jude's epistle, and then now in this new semester, it was time to pick something else to do. Now, also this morning, we started a new Sunday school series in the book of Zechariah. And I don't know if it is, I tend to think it may be my youthful vigor. I think it very well could be. But I tend to sort of pick books that I think Christians are not quite as familiar with. You know, that's why I preached on Jude. I wasn't quite as familiar with that book until I studied it and preached on it. And uh, I was not that familiar with Zechariah, so I decided to preach on an apocalyptic minor prophet do something a little bit different and and get my feet wet in that kind of a biblical literature. And as I thought about what I should do for this next series here, this next sermon series of a a collection of of Sunday evening messages, I thought it would be beneficial to do a small series on the Psalms. Now, I am a huge advocate for preaching verse by verse through books of the Bible. I know Pastor Adam is. That's exactly the way he preaches. And I just want to... uh, let you guys know that we are not going to go verse by verse through every psalm through the whole book all the way through, all right? There's 150 psalms. That would vastly exceed the time that I have up here, and y'all would be sick of it by the time we did all of that. So we're not going to go through all the psalms, but rather, I'm going to pick a few psalms, maybe 10, you know, dozen or something like that. I don't know exactly, but psalms that show us different aspects of how we can praise God and that teach us different things and even different kinds of psalms because there's lots of different psalms 
in the Psalter. And so tonight, we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 1. Psalms are an interesting kind of biblical literature. Psalms are very different than, say, reading the book of Genesis or reading Colossians or one of the Gospels. Uh, Because Psalms require you to think very carefully about what it is that you're reading. You know, the meaning isn't always right on the surface. Psalms are designed where we have to read them multiple times and think very carefully about every line, every word. And as Calvin puts it, we need to revolve the Psalms around in our minds as we study them. And so as we go through these Psalms, we need to remember some of these Psalms have incredibly vast meanings just waiting to be uncovered as we sit and think carefully about them. And that's hard for us to do as Americans because we like our information clear, concise, short, and as fast as possible, right? We're pragmatists. We like that kind of stuff. Psalms are the opposite of that. And so I think this would be a good exercise for us as we dig into this kind of genre of the scripture. So let's look at Psalm chapter 1. This psalm, actually, as we look at it tonight, I've divided into three very easy points for us to follow. Firstly, the psalm is going to address the way of the righteous, the way that a righteous man lives his life. Secondly, the psalm is going to address the way that wicked men live their lives. And then thirdly, we have the result, where these two ways lead. What destinations are these types of people headed to? All right. So, firstly, let's take a look at Uh, Psalm 1, verse 1. Here we have the way of the righteous. And the way that the psalmist deals with the way that a righteous man lives is he's going to break it into two parts. He basically says, here's how a righteous man does not live. And then he says, here's how a righteous man does live. Okay, so here's how a righteous man doesn't live. First of all, blessed is the man, verse 1, who has not walked in the counsel of wicked men, nor in the path of sinners has stood, nor in the seat of scoffers has sat. Three things that a righteous man doesn't do. Now, if you're paying attention, if you're thinking carefully about what's being said here, not just reading it over quickly, you'll notice that there's actually a progressive increase of evil that the psalmist is getting at here. A, A kind of story, if you will, a little story of how people get involved in sin. Uh, The first thing he says is that righteous people do not walk in the counsel of wicked men. They don't walk in the counsel. Now, what's he saying there? Well, his emphasis there is people walking in the advice of unbelievers. That is, they they live their lives in a way that they expose themselves to constant temptation. The wicked are their companions walking along with them, filling their minds with their counsel. We've all been told, I think, at least I I suspect you probably told your children this. I definitely heard this growing up. This old phrase that you become like the people that you hang out with. That's what the psalmist has in view here. Righteous people, whoever this righteous man is, he's not going to walk in wicked counsel. He's not going to be taking in temptation and thinking, you know, how he can justify sin. No, he's not going to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Nor is he going to stand in the path of sinners. Now here we have a step further. Now it's not just entertaining temptation. Now it's not just filling our minds with 
unwholesome thought. Now, he's actually stepped into the path of people who are actively sinning. He's joined them in their way. He's on the same path as they are, heading to their destination. He's standing in that path. So now he's not just thinking about it, now he's doing it. We all know in our own experience, right? This is how sin begins. We don't just sin spontaneously. We don't sin out of nowhere. We're first exposed to temptation, and then we think about it. We contemplate it. We rationalize it. We justify it to ourselves, and then we do it. And pretty soon we've made that jump from this first thing the psalmist is talking about here to the second thing. We've gone from walking in the counsel of the wicked to standing in the path of sinners. And then the psalmist describes even one step further. One step further. Nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. For even us today, when we talk about a seat, just in terms of metaphor, the word seat has a lot of of metaphorical meaning for us, right? Because if we're talking about kings... Kings sit in a particular kind of seat that we call a throne. And that is symbolic of who they are, their authority, perhaps, or their title, or their nature, even. That's, that is symbolic of who they are, for a king to sit in a throne. It's symbolic for a CEO to sit at the head of the table. Why? Because that's his position. That's who he is. He gets that seat, that seat of authority. Or maybe for a patriarch, or maybe just a matriarch in a family to get this major seat at a table. That is symbolic of who they are. So for this person here, who has walked in the counsel of the wicked, and then stood in the path of sinners, and is now sitting in the seat of scoffers, what he has done is he has moved from a life of sinning to now a life that is characterized by sin. That this is what he is known for. This is who he is. When people look at him, they say, oh, that guy sits in the seat of scoffers. And not only is he sitting in the seat of, of, say, sinners in general, but he's sitting in the seat of people who not only do bad things, who not only break God's law in deed, but are also breaking God's law in word. They're scoffing. They're speaking false things. Telling people, oh, you know, that's not so bad. You don't have to listen to God on this point. Don't worry about that. So you see the progressive increase that the psalmist is getting at here. This is what righteous people don't do. This is what the righteous man does not do. He does not indulge himself in any of these three things. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. His life is not like this. Rather, verse 2, this is what the righteous man is like. Here's the positive sense of the way of the righteous. But rather, verse 2, in the law of Yahweh is his delight. And on his law he will meditate day and night. The law of Yahweh is his delight. Now, that that word for law that you're looking at there uh, in your text... The Hebrew word for that is Torah. And uh, I think you've probably heard that word before if you've been in the church for any length of time. You've probably heard the word Torah, I would imagine. The Torah has a couple of different meanings. It could mean like the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, sometimes Torah just means God's law, as in his commandments. 
sometimes specifically referring to the Ten Commandments or just referring to the whole um, Mosaic Law in general. But Torah, in its most basic, you know, widespread meaning in Scripture, doesn't mean simply law. A better translation here might be, at least to catch more of the meaning, more of the fullest sense of the word, is instruction. That is, on the instruction of Yahweh is his delight. And, of course, God's law, God's commands, are part of his instruction. But what I'm getting at here is that Torah has more in view than just than just God's commands. It has everything that God has said to his people, all of his instruction, which, of course, is the word of God. And so what the psalmist is saying here is that in the word of God is this man's delight. The righteous man delights in the word of God. Now, it doesn't say the righteous man has a duty to read the word. Of course, he does. Right? As Christians, we are required to read the word of God. We're commanded to, we're commanded to, to write it on the doorposts of our hearts and on our gates. But that's not what he's saying here. He's not describing a duty. He's not saying, you have to do this as if he's grabbing your neck and saying, you have to get your face in the word. No, that's not, that's not at all the sense here. In the law of Yahweh is his delight. He loves the word. He's not in it because he has to. He's in it because he wants to be. It is his delight. And on that law, on that instruction of Yahweh, he will meditate day and night. That word for meditate, strong word. It also means to muse. That is to think about. To revolve around in our minds. To think carefully through it. To apply it in our lives. On that law, he will muse day and night. I find it interesting that in America today, we love to amuse ourselves through all kinds of different means. And you know, that word amuse just simply means not think. We like to turn our brains off. We like to not think because it's easier. But what does the righteous man do? On the law of God, on God's instruction, he Muses, he thinks about, he meditates day and night, continually, all the time, never failing once. That's a righteous man. Verse 3, and he will be like a tree planted upon streams of water which yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. This is almost describing a kind of result that happens when this righteous man lives his entire life not wavering once. His delight is the word of God. And he meditates on that word day and night. Guess what happens? He's like a tree planted by streams of water. He's a tree drinking deeply from the living water of the word of God. All the time. And his leaf doesn't wither. He never... He never falls. Perfect assurance. This is quite the man. This is quite the man. 
His leaf does not wither, and everything which he does, he prospers. Now that's a strong statement. Everything which he does, he prospers. When we think of prosperity today, at least just in the English word, we tend to think of financial prosperity or or power, the acquisition of authority, finances, houses, cars, those sorts of things. That's not necessarily what the psalmist has in view here with prosperity. Because someone, this righteous man, who perfectly delights in the law of God and meditates on it day and night, that is, makes the whole pursuit of his life the study and the application of Scripture. That person, of course, if he does that perfectly, he will succeed in everything because it's a spiritual success that's being described here. A spiritual success. Not physical. Everything he does will prosper in that sense. He will succeed in the eyes of God. He will be pleasing to God perfectly. This is quite the man. Now verse 4 gives us the way of the wicked. So this is the opposite of the righteous man. It says, the wicked are not so, verse 4. Rather, they are as chaff which the wind drives away. Now that's really strong language. They are as chaff which the wind drives away. If you are familiar with farming in any capacity, you know that chaff is just that annoying Rest bit of the plant left over after the harvest. Like what you really care about in the field is you want that seed. You want the grain. You want the corn or whatever it is that you're harvesting. And you want to get rid of all of the plant as fast as you can once you get the seed off the plant. It's useless. It may have a purpose for a short period of time to grow the seed. But then you want to get rid of that chaff as quickly as you possibly can. In the ultimate scope of things, the way of the wicked, the way of living contrary to God is useless because you will be tossed to the side. Only in God's providence does that chaff have a purpose in raising up the seed of the church. But then once that purpose is gone, as John the Baptist said, the chaff will be cast into an unquenchable fire. Not so are the wicked. There is chaff, which the wind drives away. That's harsh language. Verse 5, therefore, here's the result. Where are these two ways taking them? Therefore, the wicked will not rise in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked will not rise in the judgment. Here's what's being described to you. If you rise up in the judgment, this language that the psalmist is using, what he's saying is you stand up in the court of law and you declare to the judge, hey, I'm innocent. I'm not guilty of the crime. You can rise up in good conscience and say, I am innocent. Wicked can't do that because they're sinners. They don't get to rise in the judgment. They will not rise in the judgment. That is the divine judgment. The judgment. The judgment at the end. They're not righteous. The wicked will not rise in the judgment. They will, the, the sinners will not rise in the congregation of the righteous. 
Yahweh knows that the way of the wicked leads to being destroyed. Leads to eternal destruction. Leads to eternal damnation. That's the way of the wicked. Those who do not follow God's law. Those who have not made the law of God their perfect delight. Those who have not made the instruction of God their perfect delight. Those who have not done what the righteous man is. Those who have not been the righteous man described here. They will be destroyed. Because they are of the way of the wicked. It's a, in one sense, this is almost a sobering passage. Because I think in, in a cursory quick reading of a psalm like this, we may be tempted to think that the application for us is that we are the righteous person and that other people are the wicked people. We may be tempted to think that. But let me tell you something. In Psalm chapter 1, the righteous man is not us. We are not this righteous person being described. How many of us have made the law of God our our perfect delight? How many of us have meditated on that word day and night without ceasing, knowing it perfectly, applying it consistently? Have we ever done that? Have any of us ever done that? No, we haven't. Have we ever walked in the counsel of the wicked? Have we stood in the path of sinners? Have we sat in the seat of scoffers? Yeah, every one of us. You see, if we apply ourselves to one of these ways, the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked, guess what? We actually fit best into the way of the wicked. That's where we would be by ourselves. That's where we would be by nature. We would be in that way of the wicked. We would perish. There'd be no hope for us because we haven't lived up to these standards of the righteous man. And that's what's so great about this passage, actually. That's what's so great about this passage. We haven't lived up to the standards, but you know what? Someone did. This psalm, the righteous man in this psalm, is not us, but rather, this righteous man is a person named Jesus Christ. And he did live up to these standards. He did not succumb to temptation. He never entertained it. Jesus never walked in the counsel of the wicked. Jesus never stood in the path of sinners. He never sinned. Jesus certainly never sat in the seat of scoffers. He didn't say false things. He didn't teach against God's word. He never did that once. And furthermore, he delighted in the instruction of God. It was his perfect delight to do his Father's will. His perfect delight was in the law of God. And he certainly meditated on it day and night, continually making the word of God his everything. 
Jesus was that tree that bore perfect fruit and succeeded in everything that the Father sent him to do. We're not the righteous man in this text. That's Jesus. He is the one who fulfilled this. And guess what? That means that when we go to the judgment being described here at the very end of this text, when we go to the judgment, we will not be as believers among the wicked who cannot stand in the judgment. Because when Jesus came to this earth, he fulfilled all of these standards here in Psalm 1 as well as all the rest of the standards and all the rest of Scripture. He never sinned once. He lived a perfect, holy, righteous life that we could never live. He fulfilled it all. And he died to pay for all the times that we didn't fulfill it. He died to pay for our sin. And when we believe in Christ, our sin is transferred to his account. And his righteousness is transferred to ours. And it's because Jesus is the righteous man that we can be declared righteous people. And we can rise up in the judgment and say, on the basis of Christ's work, his finished work on the cross and his righteousness that he gave to us by his grace, we are righteous and we are innocent before God. In the judgment. That's the whole message of scripture. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that he is the righteous man and we are not. The righteous man in this psalm is not us. It is Jesus. He is the only one who fulfilled the way of the righteous. But you know what? As those who are Christians, as those who are believers today, who have trusted in Jesus Christ. It's not like this psalm has absolutely no application for us. Because we're not the righteous man being described here. But you know what? Jesus Christ is that righteous man. And those of us who are in Christ are called to be like him. To be conformed to the image of God in sanctification. And so there is much application in this passage for us as God's people as those who are in Christ. Look at the positives in verse 2 of the way of the righteous. In the law of Yahweh is the delight of the righteous man. We will never do this perfectly. But you know what? The scripture calls us as God's people to love the word. To meditate on it. To make it the pursuit of our life to understand the things of God. This is not some side activity. This is what we are called to as God's people, as those who have already been declared righteous. Adam was saying this morning in his message, we don't do the things here listed so that we can gain favor with God or so that we can be saved. Rather, it's exactly the opposite. It's because we are saved, it's because we are already righteous that we then live in the way described in this psalm. And the central message here is to be people of the word. To make the law of God, to make his instruction, to make his word our delight so that we want to do it. And if we're not there, if we don't, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit would change our hearts so that we do want it. And always and in every way, 
when we inevitably realize that we have not lived up to the standards set forth here in Psalm 1. When the law of God has not been our delight. When the word of God has been dry and stale to us and we have been stubborn and we don't want to follow it. We don't want to listen. We just don't plain like it. And when, when that happens, that's when we run to the cross. And we say, oh Jesus, help me. Forgive me. Help me, Jesus. Let's pray and ask him to do that this evening. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this psalm. Lord, we thank you that this psalm is not chiefly about us. The righteous man in this psalm is not us. Lord, we could never live up to these kind of standards. Jesus, we thank you that you did. And it is by your work that our sin is forgiven and that we have received your righteousness and that we, as your people, will rise in the judgment, innocent and righteous before your Father. Oh, Lord, we thank you for that. Please, Lord, in light of this gospel truth, help us to joyfully respond by seeking to be like you, the righteous man. Lord, make your word our delight. Make it our love. Make it our passion. Make it something we look forward to in our day and in our week. Help us to meditate on it day and night. Or help our lives to be characterized by the constant pursuit of being like you, the righteous man. And Lord, when we fail, when we fall short, when we break your law, when we're stubborn, when we refuse to do it, when our hearts are hard, Jesus, draw us to yourself, draw us to your cross, and show us the forgiveness that you accomplished for us 2,000 years ago on Calvary. Work in us the great gospel truth tonight. We pray all of these things. In the holy and precious name of Jesus, amen. Our hymn of response this morning is number 389. This is the day the Lord has made, number 389. Please stand.